I've had a song running through my head all morning with this greeting thing, which is Remember Me to Old Broadway. If you remember that song, I'm trying to remember who did it. Uh, remember Me to Herald Square, that kind of thing. And uh, we often do that to each other, don't we, brothers and sisters in Christ? We'll say, hey, remember me to so-and-so. Say hi to Aunt Susie for me. Give my love to Uncle so-and-so. Uh, give a kiss to so-and-so, that kind of, that kind of thing. We, we greet one another through each other. We send love. Now, we have a little bit of this going on in chapter 16 of, of the book of Romans, where Paul not only is maybe remembering himself to people that are in this Roman congregation, and remember that's what he's, he's doing. There are a bunch of people in this Roman congregation or congregations, the churches that are there in, in Rome, and Paul wants to, not only to have himself remembered to them, but he wants the church also to recognize them and their relationship to Paul and the great benefits of knowing these people and emulating them. Okay, so it's not just it's not just in Romans here, hey, remember me to so and so, say hey for me. Okay, there's a little bit of that, but it's like, hey you Roman Christians, pay attention to these people. These are ones you need to know. These are ones that are important not only for the ministry of Paul, clearly that he's but but the ministry of the gospel and even the Gentile churches and everything. Right? So we have something here where Paul's putting his finger on a handful of folks and saying, Know these people. Recognize them, get to know them, and get to emulate them, befriend them, and emulate them. And the truth of it is, brothers and sisters, we all need mentors. We need people in all walks of life, but in our spiritual life as well, that, are, that have gone ahead of us, that are a little farther down the road, that have some wisdom, they have some miles, and they can be our friends in Christ and help us step forward. We need mentors in our lives, and we need spiritual mentors to be sure and so Paul here, and this is just me kind of grabbing the section, here are four more. Here are four more people. We talked about Phoebe and discussed her, her ministry. And we talked about Prisca and Aquila last week. And again, their ministry and their connection with Paul and the church in their home. But we have four that we're going to look at this week. And that's not to say as we look forward that we're going to kind of look at every one of them the same way. It's hard to know, honestly, how to preach this text and how to present it so you're edified and built up in Christ. But at least this step. This sermon, we have these four that we're going to look at. So look at Epinatus. He has the hardest name of all of them, I think, Epinatus. Not of the entire list, just of the four that we're looking at this morning. But Epinatus, he is the fruit of missions. He is the fruit of missions. We can read that right in verse 5. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Now, what the English Standard Version renders first convert, the original language has first fruits. Uh, he's the first fruits of those in Asia. Now, first fruits and first convert don't exactly convey the same thing. Right? You say first convert, you might say, oh, well, first convert implies there might be a second or a third or umpteen other converts. To be, to be sure, that could be the case. But with first fruits, you know that's the case. Or you're waiting on a harvest, and this is the very first fruits of it. This is the first harvest, the first grabbing of this glorious harvest that the Lord is going to give, whether it be the fruit of the land, which is tithes and so on, or here the fruit of people. Right? The fruit of the gospel ministry going out into the world. And here is Epinatus, who is the first fruits of the gospel ministry. Now we have to think about that, and this is something obviously important to Paul, as his entire ministry really is focused on the Gentile mission. Uh, he's, a, he's a Jew, he's, a, he's an Israelite, and he's grabbed onto the treasures of Christ, Messiah, and Israel, and, and the scriptures, and he's taking all of that blessing out to the Gentile nations. Uh, he's pressing it out, and, and so his whole life is wrapped up, his whole Christian life is wrapped up in missionary work 
In here we see Epinetus as a first fruits, right, a first convert of many, right, of a whole, a whole windfall of a harvest. Here this man is the first. Now just think about that for a moment. If you're, you're Epinetus and uh, the gospel comes, you've never heard anything like it, but God turns the lights on for you and you believe, which is how it goes. Sometimes people kind of work and reason with the gospel and turn it around and ask questions. People are like that sometimes. But more often than not, people are just clueless about the gospel until the lights turn on and then they grab on to Christ. And, of course, we grow in time as well. But that's Epidatus. Right? He comes and here comes the gospel message. Jesus, the Messiah, who died and was raised from the dead, uh, who is at the Father's right hand, coming in to judge the nations. And he believed it. The first fruits of this Gentile mission that, of course, in time, for hundreds of years, will spread around the world, will continue to spread, continue to be propagated. And Epidatus was the first fruits of that great harvest. And it says he's in Asia. Okay, so he's the first fruits in Asia. So clearly he's not of the first fruits of that very first generation in Jerusalem that hear the gospel in Christ or, or witnesses of the resurrection like the apostles were. Because the apostles had to witness Jesus' ministry all the way from his baptism to his resurrection. So they had the whole ministry of Jesus there. Uh, but many believed in Jerusalem. But of course, Jerusalem was largely a Jewish church. Jerusalem was filled with Jews. And those who believed were Jews that believed. And the Jewish kind of, uh, the character of the church is very Jewish. But often the Gentile lands, not quite so much. Right? There's, still the, there's still that root of the Old Testament and all the, the Israelite realities that are built in. But as it stretches out into the, into the Gentiles, we see it, it hits a different mission field. It hits a different kind of painter than, than in Jerusalem, which it hit there. Asia, which we think of Asia, we think of Japan or China or the, something along those lines, East Asia. And sometimes we'll say East Asia to, to distinguish it from maybe India or something else, I'm not sure. But when the Romans talked about Asia, what they meant was Turkey. Right? That section next to Greece. Uh, that's kind of, you know, eventually works its way down to Palestine. But that, that section up there, that spot of land we call Turkey, they, at least the Romans, would call it Asia or Asia Minor. Now, we don't probably collectively know a whole lot about Asia Minor, but it's, it's worth it that we should. And that is because Asia Minor, that section, is, that section of area, is really the cradle of, of Christianity. For the first couple centuries, that's where Christianity is flourishing, and in a couple cities and places here and there. But Asia Minor is a very important one for us. We can see that in the book of Revelation. Right? The churches that are the, the, get the letters, there are all churches in Asia Minor. Right? So this is an important area uh, for the growth of Christianity early on. And Epinetus is right off the bat for this whole harvest that's going to happen, not only in Asia, there, but all around the world and from there as well. He was the first fruits in Asia to Christ. Okay, to Christ. Now, we can think of this as Christianity moving out, and certainly it's that. The doctrines and practice and the church and all that moves out. You bet it does. But Epinetus, more than just gathering into the externals of that reality, baptism and worship and the things that, of course, that's observed, but he was converted. His heart was changed. He was, he was no longer a sinner lost and dead in sin, but he found the light. The light had found him. That's how the scriptures talk. We, we come to know God, or rather, be known by him. Christians, Epinetus was known by God. It changed his life. Are you known by God? Has he changed your life? Is he changing your life? Week by week. Day by day. 
Sin and repentance by sin and repentance in the whole process. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do you just know the externals of this thing? Now we have to have the externals. We don't float around like disembodied spirits spiritually engaging. We're people with bodies and in place. And God's made us that way. And the church is that way. The ministry of the church is uh, full of externals. You're hearing one right now. The preaching of the word, right? But the, the sounds land on your ears. That's physical reality. But is your heart open to what the Lord has to say? Do you come hungry to receive from the Lord when you come to worship? Do you come destitute of yourself, knowing that, God, there's no good thing in me. I must come so I can see Jesus Christ, who is my salvation. We must, each of us, rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must know, just like Ethanatus, we must be converted to Christ. And that, of course, involves his church. That involves all sorts of things. But the, the very center of it is bowing the heart to Jesus Christ himself and saying, He is now my King, and He's my Savior. He rules over me, and He saves me from my sin eternally. Jesus Christ is our King and Savior, our Lord and Savior. And we have that with Epinatus. He's the first fruits of the mission, this great mission field, and he's a convert to Christ. Not just a convert to Christianity, not just a convert to a, a list of do's and don'ts, a moral system, if you will, or something along those lines. Not just a convert to a philosophy or a way of looking at the world, construing things. All those things are included. But he's converted to Christ. And we must be converted to Christ, too. That's my very call as a minister, is to herald Christ, that we should, week by week, bow the knee to him. Remember that we're sinners. Remember that we're fallen. Cast ourselves upon the mercy of God in Christ Jesus and never look back. So Epinatus is the fruit of missions. Well, that moves us to Mary. What about Mary? You think, is that the Mary I'm thinking of? Nope. It's not the Mary you're thinking of. There are lots of Marys in the New Testament. I think there are six or seven of them. Uh, This one we know very little about, like a lot of people on this list. It turns out that Paul knew them, and maybe a lot of the Roman Christians knew them, and maybe some of the Christians all through the area, you know, through the Mediterranean area knew some of these Christians, but as time goes on, we lose track of that. And we've kind of lost track of Mary. The Hebrew name Miriam, or Miriam, depending on how the last consonant goes, is a very common name, and comes to be known as Mary. It comes into English as Mary, but we, we hear Miriam and Miriam in other languages as well. That's a very common name. And here with this woman, she's the third woman in this list of people. Now, I asked you last week as an introduction, hey, you know, think of an all-star list. You got, where's your all-star roster, and who's playing what base, or something like that. And when Paul is maybe doing something like that here, he's got people that he wants the Roman Christians to know, plenty of them are women. Which is just to re-mention or underscore again the incredibly valuable ministry of women in the church, and not just in the church, but to the whole world. We, we have this thing where we say, well, the Bible says men need to be in office in the church, and that's great, but that, none of that means that women have no ministry. There's an enormous ministry in each of you in your own way. And so I want to kind of remember that again. We talked about it last week, and we'll talk about it again because, again, this, this list is spotted with women, and here are three right up at the top. So what about, what about this Mary? Well, he mentions that she is a hard worker, or literally much labored. Right? She's, she's worked a lot. She's worked a lot for you, is what he says, the Roman church itself. 
they ought to know this lady because she's been the workhorse there, getting stuff done and, and helping out or pulling things together, or whatever ministry she had at which she worked so hard. She was much labored, this Mary. She was a hard worker. I think we know people like that. They're hard workers. Right? They're, they're up early, up after it. They, got, they have things that they're doing, that, and, and they're focused, and they're drivers. And in fact, we kind of look at the world and be amazed at some of the work ethic or the work standards that people put on themselves, how hard they work and how much they get after it. And we don't have to look at the world to figure that out. We can look at a number of us, a number of us out there. You're hard workers. You, you get after it. You get after the work that God's given you to do. While many of us are hard workers, do we ask the question, why? Why are you a hard worker? Why do you put in those hours and that time and that energy? Mary was a hard worker for the church there in Rome. It doesn't say why. Uh, we can assume, I think, that she loves the Lord Jesus and loves the church and pours herself into the ministry of, of working at the church. But I ask you, why? Why do you labor day by day? Why do you put your pants on one leg at a time, tie your shoes, and get out the door and get working? Or whatever it is that you do to get, to get working. Why do you do that? What drives you? What impels you to do that? Well, even as Epinetus was a convert to Christ, so Mary's hard work is hard work to Christ for the church. Christian, you've been redeemed just like Mary has. Christ has paid it all. As we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, we're reminded of that. His, his, his flesh is broken for us. His blood is poured out for us. There's nothing more. He has redeemed us and therefore calls us to a life of service. Calls us, therefore, to a life of work, of hard work, just like Mary here, the example in Rome. So, Christian, each day, each day is a new adventure for you in Christ. And it requires your hard work. It requires you to get into it, to roll up your sleeves and get after the work you have to do. And we all have different work to do. But all of this work is, on the first place, for God. But our, our labors every day are unto God. They're service to Him. They're offering to Him every day. But they're also for one another. And we see that in Mary in particular. She's the hard worker for you, Romans. Now, you Roman Christians, she's the one who served the body. And I would just ask you to think about the question, how many people like there, how many people are there like Mary in the Church of Jesus Christ? Don't really know them, but they're workhorses behind the scene, whether it be in prayer or in administration or in fellowship, in any number of ways the church needs serving. Many of you are just like that. And so I ask you to keep going. Keep rolling up your sleeves every morning. Keep getting after it as offering to the Lord and as service to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, the church is the primary target of the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and worked. He lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death. He was raised from the dead on the third day. What was the point of that? There are a lot of of things going on with that. But the main point of that was that he was going to build his church and that the very gates of hell would not stand against him doing that. Of course he's going to redeem the whole cosmos. New heavens, new earth. There's lots of stuff that goes on in the death and resurrection of Christ. Lots of impacts, lots of applications. But the main focus is on the elect of God. The very people of God that he would draw out of darkness into himself, into his light. So should not our work, our daily efforts, our struggles ever be toward that same end, toward the church? 
toward the people of God. So as you think about your labors and the proceeds of your labors, your, what you pour in, think about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which can mean this local church, to be sure. But it doesn't end at the doors here. We have the church that spreads around the world. There's lots of work to be done and be like Mary, a hard worker, focused in on the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And from there out, there's lots of things to help with and serve throughout this world, starting with Christ and his church. So we have Epinatus, the first fruit of missions in, in Asia, there in Rome. We have Mary, this hard worker for the, the church of Rome as well. And finally, we have these two, Andronicus and Eudia, well-known prisoners and friends of Paul. Now, this is an interesting couple because we have no idea if it's two men or if it's a, a man and a wife or something else. That we're, the, the, the name Eudia isn't necessarily male or female, masculine or feminine, like, a little bit like Pat. So, okay, well, which way are we going with Pat? The same thing with Eudia, we don't know. So it could be two brothers. They were friends of Paul and, and so on. Uh, we don't know. It could be a husband and wife or something like that. So we'll, we'll just move on from there, just recognizing our lack of information that we have. But they are mentioned here as Paul's countrymen, as fellow prisoners. They are of note among the apostles. And they were in Christ before Paul. Those are the things that he mentions as he talks about them. Now, I'd like to think about Andronicus and Unia. And what Paul, what he brings out about them and how it might be reflected in us or not. Let me read exactly his words here. Greet Andronicus and Unia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. Now, by kinsmen, he could mean just simply a Jew, right? He's, he's part of the Jewish nation. Uh, it could mean something closer to that. Maybe he's of the tribe of Benjamin like Paul's of the tribe. Uh, or maybe they're, uh, which John MacArthur thought, maybe they're relatives, actual blood relatives of, of Paul's. We don't, again, we don't really know, but we know they're connected with him, uh, at least by being Israelites, and if not more than that. So it says here, they're kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. Well, we know what that means. Is they, went to, they went to jail with Paul. right? They were locked up with, with Paul. They spent time in prison with Paul. And that'll bring a couple of fellows together. Spending that time walked up in Christ, I think there's an enormous bonding experience that goes on there, particularly in ancient Roman-type prisons. Uh, it's not like you had your own cell with a, you know, a bed and a latrine or something. You're oftentimes chained up, sitting next to each other in a, you know, essentially a dungeon uh, with not much going. And you see it, uh, in Acts, of course, and singing hymns and things like this in the prison, which is wonderful and I'm sure mind-blowing to everybody. Uh, and maybe... Maybe uh, Andronicus and Uni were just the same with Paul. Locked up, singing the praises of God, thanking God that they can suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. They are well known among the apostles. This could mean a number of things. It could be they're among the apostles and well known as being, an, or as being apostles. It doesn't seem like that's the meaning. More like they're well known among the apostles of the church, those in speaking particularly the twelve and Paul, that say these guys, these pillars of the church, they know these two. Right? They're, they're well known. Uh, they've, they've been servants of the church to the point where the leadership of the church, even in Jerusalem, knows them very well. And they are, they are currently over in, in Rome. So they were well known among the apostles. And Paul says they were in Christ before me. Uh, which means that while Paul was still breathing threats and murder against the church of Jesus Christ, these ones were bowing the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, recognizing him as Messiah. 
as the one whom God had promised, even while Paul was blind and raging against the same. Now, these, these two, whoever they were, uh, man or woman, couple or, or two brothers, they were noble and faithful and well-known as such. They were noble and they were faithful and they were well-known as such. How about you? Are you noble and faithful and well-known as such? They were willing to suffer with Paul. They were prisoners with him. Willing to go to prison, have a loss of freedom, loss of property. They were willing to suffer for the gospel. How about you? Are you willing to suffer for the gospel like these two, Andronicus and Unia? They were mature and wise, experienced and faithful to the long traditions and to the scripture. They were in Christ before Paul. They know the scriptures. They know the traditions. Are you familiar with all those things the way they were? Well, I think if you're listening to this, then you're like me and preaching and saying, well, no, not enough. Not hardly enough. But let me focus on this one. They were willing to suffer, but they were just following the man, Jesus Christ, who was willing to suffer for us. Don't you remember Pilate saying, behold, the man who is going to suffer for the sins of his people. Well, if Andronicus and Uni are willing to suffer with Paul, it's only because they're imitating and following after the Lord Jesus Christ, the preeminent suffering servant. Jesus is noble and faithful. Jesus is noble and faithful. And well known as such. Well known as such. Remember witnessing a discussion in college this kind of apologetical discussion where a Christian was kind of talking to a couple other guys. One was from this religion called Ekonkar. If you ever heard of that one, it's a weird one. Um, but anyway, he's, he's mentioning to this Ekonkar guy, he says, well, Jesus is like an important guy spiritually, right? He's like kind of on the list. He's on the short list of, of really important guys in the, in the spiritual world. And Ekonkar guy says, yeah, sure, well, granted. Jesus is well known. He's known in his honesty. He's known in his faithfulness. And he is noble. And he's well known, even as maybe Andronicus and Unia were following Jesus. Jesus was mature and wise, experienced and faithful to the long traditions. He knew the scripture. He knew how to use the scripture. Even when he's tempted by Satan, he turns around and uses the scripture. Even as Satan uses the scripture and perverts it. Jesus knows the traditions. He knows the scripture. He's faithful to them. He's mature. And so in all these things, when I say, how about you? On the one hand, you might say, yeah, to some degree, these are the case. And if, if, if that's the case, they praise the Lord. These are gifts that he's put into my, into my life. These are gifts he's given to me. But then as we're convicted by the same, as we look at that list and say, am I noble and faithful and well-known as such, willing to suffer, prison, loss of, loss of money, loss of freedom? Am I mature and wise, experienced and faithful? Too often we say, no. And when we say, no, that's a good spot to be, because immediately you can say, but there is one who was in my place. Jesus Christ was all of these things. And his righteousness is counted to me as I trust him. And all my wickedness and all my sins are counted to him on the cross. That's what this table's all about, to remind us of that every time we come. That it's not about our achievements and accomplishments. And as soon as we start looking that way, we're losing track. If we look carefully at ourselves, we find that, yeah, there's some some fruit, there's some evidence of the work of God in here. But I need more. I need more. I need to grow. And the way we grow, Christian, is we look at Christ. 
we see him, we recognize that he is our redeemer. And as we rest in him with true faith and love, God moves us forward. He blesses us and makes us more like Christ, focuses us on him so that we become imitators of the one who is the express image of God. Beloved, Christ transforms us. It's not just that we look at him and rest in him and know that he is our righteousness and he is our life, certainly that. But as we do that, he transforms us. He makes us over. He continues to work on us. And that's part of this week-by-week Sabbath worship, that we come and we confess our sins and we hear the promises of God and we receive the word so that we can, by degree, little by little, here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept, grow in Christ Jesus, become more like him. And it's an aggravating process, isn't it? It's a frustrating process. Because on the one hand, we want more. We want to be more like Christ, but then on the other hand, say, hey, not so fast. Let's slow down a little bit here. We have, this, we have the flesh that wars against the Spirit in us. And so it's part of the great glory of public worship, part of the great glory of the heralding of the, of the Word of God, is that we should be convicted of our sins, look to Christ, and grow in Him. Rest in Him and grow in Him. And this is what we see going on here with, with these four. The little four on our list is that God had done some work in them. He'd united them to Christ and made them these kind of pillars of the church all around the Mediterranean, from Rome to Jerusalem, and it seems like everywhere in between. Christians, we are the first fruits, or at least some of the fruits anyway, of the mission work of the church. And it's not just the mission work of the church that we're fruits, we're mission work of God. God sent His Son. There's the mission right there. There's the sending. That's what missio means, the sending. The sending of the Son, because God has redemptive designs on this place. In fact, He's got redemptive designs on you. And He sent His Son to redeem us, to redeem the world. But then as He redeems us, He calls us into the church. He calls us to be a part of the body, and the body has a mission. God gave the body a mission to make Christ known. To disciple the nations, to go out to the whole world and teach them the obedience through baptism uh, and, and, and the ministry of the word that they should be fruits to God as well. And so we see Epinetus then is the first fruits of Asia. But just kind of work it out from there in your mind through the long centuries of faithful Christians in the church heralding the gospel, discipling up their children, training up the next generation so that the, the gospel can be heralded again. All the way down, over and over again, generation by generation, to you and to me. That's the mission of the church. And that mission of the church hangs on the mission of God, sending His Son to do this whole thing. To empower this church by His Spirit, that it should go and be faithful, proclaiming the gospel, and that Christ Jesus would indeed have a harvest of people all through the world. Think of that harvest, Christian. Think of the great harvest of the gospel throughout the long centuries in the many, many nations. And it's still going. It's still going on. It's still our job to participate in that. Now again, we do that in worship. We do that in discipleship of our children and one another here. But we also do it, and maybe preeminently, we do it by taking this message of Jesus Christ, who gave himself for sinners was raised from the dead, that we should be justified before God, we take that message and give it away. So let me just ask a question. When's the last time we've had a convert in this church? The last time someone's come in and said, I don't know anything about Jesus, tell me about him, or don't tell me about him, or whatever, however that goes, and they come to Christ. They come to know Jesus through, through the, the ministry of the Word. 
I don't know. Susan Bushman comes to mind. It's <laughs> been a few years, right? That's something. And I, I, I recognize in an established church of kind of families, people that come together regularly, it's, it's easy to focus on discipleship. It's easy to focus on, on the internal growth of, of the people of God without recognizing or just kind of being scared or leery of those guys out there. That we have to go talk to them, or we have to go mix our lives up with them. We have to go rub elbows with them. But here's the truth of it. You're rubbing elbows with them every day. You're out there every day, especially you who are in business and stuff. Sometimes at home it's a little more insular. But for those of us who are out every day, we have, we have every reason on this adventure, this daily adventure of hard work to Christ to say, Okay, God, who's on my list today? Who do I need to talk to today? Who do I need to introduce you to today? Show me and give me the strength and the courage to open my mouth. To make the connection, to talk, to, to, to give them Christ Jesus. Because you might say, well, they will listen anyway. Of course they won't. Unless the Lord opens their ears to hear. And the Lord opens their ears to hear when the gospel comes. And so we have this wonderful duty, scary, uh, we're not, maybe not very good at, of, of, of sharing, of giving away the gospel, of proclaiming the crown rights of King Jesus, even to those who would not want to hear. Yet, behold, the mission of the church. And all that mission of the church is the mission of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who came to invade this place and turn it around and make it something different, make it prove His grace and love. So, Christians, let us not only prove that grace and love here with each other and in our families and so on and with our neighbors, but to the world. To take this incredible message, this unbelievable gospel message, and give it away. Preach it. Give it. And see what God does. See if God doesn't bring dozens in the doors here who didn't know Christ until they heard it from you. Until they heard it from this pulpit here. Until they heard it from your family and they're sitting around having dinner or however it goes. We have a mission here and it involves the ungodly. It involves the world. And we need to bring them in and seek them out. (coughs) And we can see that here with nothing else in the mission. The mission that has our friend Epinatus, certainly Paul's beloved friend, saying he was the first fruits. But there are many more. The harvest. Remember, the fields are white, and we should pray the Lord of the harvest send us in. So that's maybe the first way to start. You know, my heart's not so good on this missionary thing or this evangelism thing. It's tough for me to do. Pray. That's that's your first step, is to pray. Seek that the Lord would give us hearts and eyes to to see the the, the fields white under harvest, but hearts to care about that and to be engaged in it. Because I think oftentimes, speaking for myself directly, we're slow to do that. I'm slow to do that. And may God forgive us for that and bless us as a church as we kind of reinvigorate and focus ourselves more and more on reaching the lost for Christ Jesus. So as Christ transforms us, and we'll conclude here, he transforms us, he makes us the fruits of his mission work. That's, that's what we are. We're the fruit of, of, of mission work that's gone on from eternity, but also in history through the church. We are hard workers. Christ transforms us into hard workers for his church. And he wasn't he that. See, pouring himself out day and night to exhaustion in order to get the gospel and the fruits of the gospel out in his own time. And then through his spirit, generation by generation through the church, that we should be hard workers. So Christians, don't forget, God's made us to work. And we're supposed to work. And we should enjoy, take joy in that work and focus that work and our proceeds of it upon the church of Jesus Christ even as the Lord Jesus did himself. Finally, being transformed to the image of Christ means that we would become well-known in Christ. Well-known as noble, faithful servants, but also well-known as those who are willing to suffer 
those who are willing to take it for Christ. As we mentioned last week, that even though we suffer, and if we lose father or mother or homes or lands, Jesus says, don't worry. You go ahead and suffer. I've got your back. I'll take care of it. Jesus says he'll have it. So go suffer for him. He's the suffering servant. We're called to suffer like him. Suffering like him unto victory. Unto glory. Unto this great transformation of the world and conversion of sinners. That's what we suffer unto. And may God bless that as, we, as he transforms us into the image of Christ, but also as he works through us in this world to make Christ known and followed. So, Paul here wants to connect the Roman Christians, again, not just with himself, or just say, here are some friends of mine, but say, look at these guys. Look at these four, the four we talked about this morning anyway, and get to know them. And as you get to know them, get to emulate them. And get to see the same things they see, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, their King and Savior, and their glorious service to Christ by His power, by His Spirit. May it be so with us. That in each other we see Christ and are encouraged, and that others in the world see Christ in us and are encouraged in Him as well. That is the mission of the church, and it is the blessing of these four to greet. Amen.